Hello everyone, this is Nelson from Social Hero. We discover the story of innovative social-driven organizations with sustainable impacts in Southeast Asia. In this episode, we have the privilege to interview Z, the co-founder and CFO of Langit Collective, a social enterprise that aspires to bring economic empowerment to rural communities and smallholder farmers in Malaysia. Let's check it out. Hello Z, thank you very much for joining me on today's session. I'm excited to learn more about your journey with Langit Collective. Hi Nelson, glad to be invited to do this. For sure, for sure. Well, I mean to start this um, you know, podcast session, well I'm always interested in understanding one's journey that leads to where he or she is today, right? So, well, could you, would you love to share with us uh, how did you and your co-founders actually start Langit Collective? Well, the thing about I guess the journey for us, there are four co-founders in mm-hmm. uh, Langit Collective. It really started because we all met in a non-profit, a local non-profit in Malaysia. Right. And uh, how we actually end up in the local non-profit was, I guess we were all going through some sort of a quarter-life crisis. We mm-hmm. all came from like some corporate backgrounds. Like I came from, I'm an actuary. Mm-hmm. Uh, my other co-founders are like designers, uh, producers, and also chiropractors. So very diverse background. But I think a few years into our profession, and we felt that, okay, I, this is not working out. And we just wanted to take a break. And we went into this nonprofit. But one thing led to another. And three years into the nonprofit, um, we started Langit Collective. So the nonprofit uh, was really how... Uh, we actually eventually started our uh, social enterprise because the non-profit, we were doing projects in rural Malaysia, like mainly in the Borneo part of Malaysia, where we were building basic infrastructure projects like uh, gravity-fed water systems. Mm-hmm. And we were doing it on a project basis. So we were cycling through quite a number of villages. Like I think at our peak, we actually did average... Averaging it out among all of us, we actually did 20 projects in a year, which wow. is actually a lot um, as far as a non-profit goes in, in Malaysia. But that burning question, like uh, for us, I mean, after we got the hang and the ro- uh, of how we do gravity-fed water systems, um, it seems like, yes, you solve a basic problem from not having uh, a water yep. to having a potable water. Mm-hmm. But then what's next? That what next? What's next? Question kept, um, you know, it was always in the back of our minds, mm. and it eventually we we know we we came to the conclusion that it's an economic problem, right? So there are no, there are no economic activity happening in the villages, and then a lot of the younger people are leaving, and then they don't really make it in the urban areas because of lack of social capital, because, you know, of multiple reasons. And eventually they come back to the village, but then they don't know what to do with themselves in the village. Mm-hmm. So it becomes like an economic problem. And in 2015, which is about two, three years into, into our non-profit uh, uh, well, work that time. Right. So we, we came to this village in uh, the highlands of Sarawak, in the highlands of Borneo. And they had an excess of rice. So they plant heirloom rice, which is something in Malaysia is not very well known because most of our rice in Malaysia, it's all imported. So we don't really know the origins of our food. But 
over over there in this village, we found that oh, there is this different type of rice. I mean, to us, rice has always been just white. Right. But <laughs> they had like all kinds of rice, like white, red, black, purple, and then glutinous, non-glutinous, all kinds, and they smell and taste different. Mm-hmm. Like it's so discernible, and they have so much of it, and it's in excess that they actually fed them to the chickens and their livestock, and. It's, we just couldn't brain it because, you know, we are importing rice from other countries. But at the same time, right here in, in, in Malaysia, we have people who are planting rice and a very different type of rice mm-hmm. that they are finding it difficult to finish them and they're feeding it to their livestock. Why are they not selling it to the market? So, and we thought, okay, maybe we could just try to see if we could monetize it for them. So that, it really started with that very simple idea. And when we finished our project, we brought 30 kilos of rice right. from these villages mm-hmm. and we brought it back to KL uh, on, the, on the peninsula of West Malaysia mm-hmm. and we packaged it into like a Christmas gift. So we hand-stitched some jute bags, made it presentable as a gift and then we, we tried to sell um, this product, right? right. And very surprisingly, we sold out within like two days. I mean, you know, in re- in retrospect, 30, 30 wow. kilos is nothing. Mm-hmm. But then again, 30 kilos, it's at a price which is 10 times higher than the rice in the market at, a mo- at that moment and even today. Mm-hmm. It's 10 times more expensive. So we, we, we were so unsure if that's going to work. But it did. And obviously, you know, it was a lot of friends and family, you know, yep. just supporting. Mm-hmm. It was just a little, it was just like a nice gift anyway. But that really was how we started. And it became clearer to us after that, like what we were trying to do, what is the real problem they were trying to solve because we managed to get ourselves into a, an accelerator program for social enterprise. Mm-hmm. So social enterprise is still very, very new, even back then when we started in 2015. Um, we managed to get into this um sort of like a government-linked agency. They were running a four-month uh, residence program for uh, social enterprises. Right. And with our really, really bare idea, we went and pitched it and we got into the program. And that four months um, was almost like an MBA, mm-hmm. but just like a real-life MBA because whatever you're learning, you're applying immediately mm-hmm. to your organization so it really accelerated our growth i think during that time it was it was a side project that you know it, we, we never thought that it could be something really serious we thought it was going to be a side project we'll continue to do what we're doing and then these are things that you know we will come back uh you know come back to it when we have some extra time yep. but that sort of sped up the whole growth and in 2018 that's when we actually went full-time, like all four of us, like we went full-time. And uh, we could definitely see the difference when we were doing it part-time. And uh, now that we're in full-time, like I think that speed of growth is is really, really very different. Right, right. So, yep. yeah, I mean, fast forward to um, what you guys are doing now. Um, may I know more about the community communities that you guys are working with? Like, how many communities are you guys working with? I, I'm, I'm pretty aware that you guys are, um, you know, have expanded to more than what you were saying that the Sarawak um, region, right? So, yeah, share us with more, you know, what you guys have done and, yep. 
Though we started off with this rice planting community, mm-hmm. and until today, it's still our main uh, community because it's actually a complex of seven villages and it's right. in like a valley islands. Mm-hmm. So we are working in an area where it's about, the population is about uh, 1,800 people. Mm-hmm. It's about more than 300 families over there. Mm-hmm. So we are actually working with farmers directly. So we are not working with every single one of them yet, that mm-hmm. part of the plan. Mm-hmm. But we have some very stringent um, criteria before we onboard any of our farmers. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of values that we have to align with them, a lot of expectations that we align with them. So today, as of now, we are actually working with about 50 farmers. We started with just three mm-hmm. um, back then. And uh, 50 farmers, they include actually uh, our rice farmers, which is the main bulk of them. And then uh, our pepper farmers, also in Sarawak. But mm-hmm. uh, while... The rice farmers are at the northern tip of Sarawak. The uh, pepper farmers are actually at the southern southern part of Sarawak. And then we also have another community in Sabah that plants ginger. So I guess we have somehow streamlined that uh, we, we want to work with indigenous communities because that's where our expertise is. Like we could do community consultations and uh, we practice free prior informed consent with all communities and we speak the language. Uh, I mean, not the native language, but we speak Malay. And uh, right now, I'm learning the native language. Wow. Uh, it's really getting into the community. Mm-hmm. So we don't helicopter ourselves in and then, you know, just do things remotely and expect that the community will be able to do everything by themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's from the years of uh, our work, working with a non-profit, I've seen a lot of other non-profits working in this space and it's always done in that kind of a manner and none of it really amounts to anything. So when we started, we were quite uh, adamant that we have to be very hands-on. We had to be very much on the ground, actually so much that we're in the ground, like literally in the ground, you're planting paddy. Yep. Yep. So while it, while the growth can be, can be seen to be quite slow from three to 45 over a span of four years. Mm-hmm. I think what we are trying to do here is not so much of the scalability, mm-hmm. but it's more spreadability and the depth of impact that we are trying to achieve right now. Right, right. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure that um, you guys not only will sell the rice that the farmers actually planted, so what kind of support that you guys actually provide to the farmers other than selling their products? So until today, we found out that our model, I mean, we did that according to what was needed to be done. Like right. we had no idea that what business model it was. But mm-hmm. in today's terms, I could tell you that we are a vertically integrated um, uh, business model, meaning from planting all the way to the consumer, mm-hmm. we are in every part of the supply chain. Mm-hmm. It's not that we choose to be that, but it's just because a lot of our farmers, they are actually indigenous farmers and they live in some very remote places where it's not serviced by road. There, There's no electricity, mm-hmm. uh, hardly any mobile communication. So you're basically cut out from the rest of the world and hence the system. So there are no supporting industries and it's not as if that we want to do every single step of it, but there weren't anyone doing it. So we had to do it. And right. until we have crystallized that to be our sort of like a business model doing that. Um, so from planting, so we actually do go into the field and we plant, mm-hmm. we harvest, 
obviously what we can do is very limited because we are actually working with the farmers and the reason that why we are planting is not for the is not to produce a lot but it's actually for us to understand the pain points of our farmers mm. and how we can actually uh, alleviate these pain points right you know whether we can actually find out a different a different uh, solution to to this problem so mm. understanding the problem and it's us literally going in experiencing it as a farmer to really understand what we're talking about so um that's from the very very uh, uh upstream mm-hmm. that whole source and then going down to logistics how we actually link up all the logistics players how we actually get it from such a remote place into our point of sale in the urban center right but once we get the raw product the raw produce then we have to go through packaging so that's on us also mm-hmm. we have to go through marketing so branding and from there to customer service so after right. after we after we actually manage to you know sell it to to the consumers mm-hmm. and then it's not finished like it's not one way it goes back the other way so then we actually spend quite a bit of our um whatever earnings that we have back in the community so okay like like capacity building workshops like um for example we did quite a few workshops before um one of them was actually a new method of planting that we thought might work for for the village but uh after we did the workshop and us planting it ourselves you know right. we found that okay pulling it strictly is not going to work so how are we going to like hybridize it with whatever that they are already doing mm-hmm. so channeling our earnings into that and also channeling our earnings into capacity building workshops like um for example organic what's what's organic what's the organic market like what's considered organic and and uh if if you use any form of agrochemicals what are the kind of like health effects that you might have on you so this is another workshop that we brought in partners to come in and actually do it together with us in the village I really love how it gone so far from you know the the whole vertical chain of your supply chain. Well, may I know more about the customer base of uh your current you know of your current sales? Like, is it more of like individuals or uh restaurants? Like, I do aware that we can actually purchase the rice online, but um, who's your main target uh, customers right now? So actually, that took us quite a bit of uh um market research, but um. Over four years in existence, I think we have actually um, gotten our gotten a better understanding of our market. So the first, uh, say we talk about the uh, direct to the consumers, so individual consumers, they are the ones who are more health conscious. Um, mm-hmm. They are the ones who uh, would actually want to. Um, consume sometimes for themselves sometimes for their family something that's healthier although it can be pricier but you know they are really out looking for a better quality product so that's right. one and then uh, we have another maybe of a smaller proportion but global citizens that have gone around the world and then they're looking for something that's distinctly malaysian Mm. Something that's very representative of Malaysia, right. and they the ones who have the disposable income to actually vote with their dollars. So they are the ones who actually bother to go and read up on what we are doing, and or have listened to us of what is the kind of um social impact that we are trying to achieve, and they would 
want to support us, although we don't outrightly tell people that, no, please buy this because you're supporting the farmers. You know, mm-hmm. we never do that. We always tell people that try the product for what it's worth and you should be just paying for the quality of the product and not just because you are, you know, buying PT and then you're just helping this once. It's, yep. it's not sustainable that way. So our direct-to-consumer market is sort of like that. And we started off uh, with our e-commerce platform, like our own website, because mm-hmm. it has the lowest uh, cost to us, like a low, very low overheads cost. And one of our one of our my co-founder, like he's good in this tech stuff, so he built our website like overnight, kind of a thing, and it has served us really well. So that was how we started, and we spent a lot of time going to bazaars to right. talk to people. Mm-hmm. it's just a lot more engaging that way that you're talking to someone and not just expecting someone to go to your web- website and read what you wrote it's not no nobody will actually do that to be honest yep. unless they're super interested and that's how we really started and then it's more into like probably into our second third year that we started to um, connect and actually approach hotels uh, restaurants first actually that uh, we were sending them samples and then we were engaging with uh, the chefs. And yeah, it's, it's not any other restaurant. These, these are sort of chefs that are really progressive, that are really um, inspired by the likes of like Noma mm-hmm. and trying, trying to do something with Malaysian cuisine, like Malaysian ut cuisine, if you like, you know. Yep. Not, not to say it's the, the snobbish, <laughs> pretentious, but it's like they're trying to push the envelope and they're looking for good local produce right. and when uh, we actually connect with them and then we share uh, our experience about produce in the villages and in the places they've been to they really appreciate it and um, so through that we managed to go into the Horikas or the hotels restaurant and caterers so we are now in um, quite a number of uh, five-star global uh, hotel chains right. and we are in arguably the best restaurant in Malaysia because they are the wow. only Malaysian restaurant in the top 50 Asia restaurants. So, um, yeah. So, and it's actually through these chefs and restaurants that what we're trying to get is validation. Mm. So, we sing praises about, you know, all our produce and how good this is and, and not, but who's, who's to say that it is really good, you know? And yep. who better to do that than chefs themselves? So yep. it was a little bit of a strategy that we were trying to do that. Not to say that, you know, we were just targeting them, but it was because they are the ones who probably would appreciate mm-hmm. quality produce that, yep. you know, we went to them. And today, um, about 60% of our earnings comes from B2B. So from hotels and restaurants and only about 40% comes from the consumers, the, the, the direct consumers. And we also have some retailers now. So um, we consider them like a, a not like B to B to C. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, well, I totally agree with um, your approach in terms of, you know, like a lot of people, a lot of time people will think that, oh, social enterprise. So, you know, it, they purchase 
products from social enterprises because of empathy or sympathy, right? But to be fair, the the real the real way of doing it supposedly should be, you know, like social enterprise, their products should be on par with the market products, like the quality of the market products, or even better than that. And that's what you guys are doing, getting validation from, you know, the top restaurants in Malaysia, hotel change that, you know, it's a very great thing that social enterprises should actually look into just that to make sure that, you know, people don't purchase it out of sympathy. It's not a long run way and not really a sustainable way. Yeah, totally agree with what you guys are right on the head because the whole reason why we actually started social enterprise although we were working for a non-profit back then mm. was because of the sustainability factor and in Malaysia it's not so easy to raise funds yep. you know we don't have a lot of foundations that are giving up grants in the millions so it's very different from say in the UK and the US where mm. you have federal grants that you can apply to in, in, in the, to the sound of millions and it's a thriving industry even. But in Malaysia, it's a very different case. Yep. So we wanted something that was sustainable mm-hmm. in the long run. And yep. that's the whole idea of a social, social enterprise. That's the whole reason why we started it as a so, social enterprise. Right. And well, well, you can be, you, I have to be very honest that you can be very tempted to try to sell pity because that, that, that can sell. Mm. But then that can probably sell one time. Yeah. And, and we were quite clear from the very beginning that we didn't want to do that. Mm. Yeah, so we don't actually go around telling people that we are social enterprises and, you know, this is like, uh, you know, do this and then you do this. It's like we go out and tell people, oh, we are Langit Collective and then uh, we work with farmers, uh, rural indigenous farmers, and we bring their produce out uh, from from the interiors to, to, to the urban centers. That's right. all we tell them. And right. why is it good? Why is it good? You know, that why is it good for you why you should be considering this you know we tell them that we don't tell them that please support us so that we can support the farmers you know that's that's <laughs> right right well i i totally agree with what you are saying and well in this case what's um i would really love to know what's your goal for langit collective in the next five to ten years what do you see you know from what you what what do you see to help or rather what do you see to actually achieve with um the farmers in in the in the community you know, it's interesting that you asked me this at this point in time, like yeah. in, in February, um, because we just had this discussion. Right. And, um, as part of our uh, organization, we have done theory of change. Um, theory of change from back in when we were really young, like not, not even a year old, and then theory of change until like when we were four years old, and then like just even more recently, we were just thinking through our whole vision, mission statement. Yep. I have to say that we have actually grown a lot more. So if you ask me this question like four years ago, it was very simple and direct. We were trying to do economic empowerment mm-hmm. of rural communities. Mm-hmm. And how we do that is we actually revalue um, agriculture produce from these communities and from the remote regions, uh, revalue it, it so that it becomes an economic income for them. That was, that was it, very simple. But as we went along over the years, and as we learned so much, we had we actually expanded our horizons beyond this scope. So we are now talking about regenerative agriculture. We are now talking about indigenous wisdom about you know food systems. So we are now setting our sights much, much further and much, much bigger. In fact, we are getting a little bit more ambitious even trying to spearhead the narrative of agriculture in Malaysia right. or maybe even in, in, in the globe. Because... 
as we went into this deeper and deeper, we found that there's something really wrong about agriculture. The kind of conversations and narrative that is being thrown about in agriculture today. Mm-hmm. After our own experience with our communities, we don't think that's the way. We really don't think that's the way. And we want to be that... Um, I Well, I don't know if it's uh, too too much or, or too... Too, too far out to yeah, actually say that you want to be that voice yeah. to tell people that hey you know um, it's not all just technology yeah. look at some of the indigenous wisdom that you have not recognized mm. there's a lot in there that we should be looking into that we should be learning from mm-hmm. they have inbuilt sustainability in them that's probably the way that we should be looking at right that's probably how our food can be nutritious and not just having it in abundance in terms of volume. Mm. Yeah, so that's... So, so we, are tr- we are actually trying to push this agenda, change the whole narrative of agriculture. Uh, that's sort of where we are trying to go right now. <laughs> right, right, right. I think that's a very, um, very sustainable way and it's a very um, interesting thing to actually look into because a lot of times like we don't really think about that much right learning from experienced people you know who's the most experienced people in 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 agriculture probably is Mm. the people who are always you know probably is the farmers right and yeah i think that's a very good approach to go to and i really look forward to what uh langit collective up to in the next probably next few years yeah and Mm -hmm. yeah well it's almost about the end of this um uh, podcast series um i really appreciate your time well probably the one last word um well for our aspiring entrepreneurs out there so what's your one piece of advice for this uh for our entre- uh, social aspiring social entrepreneurs out there that you can actually share the f- the first and the most basic thing is know your problem know your problem really really well mm-hmm. so don't assume that this is the problem that needs to be solved because it's not your problem that you're solving. It's there, there are a lot of other stakeholders. Like really go deep and always question what is the problem that you're trying to solve. And if you find that you're making assumptions, definitely check them out, validate them, whether it's a true, whether it's false. And if it's true, what's the best way of you know, going forward? But always, always go back and check your assumptions and make sure that you know the problem that you're solving is a real problem and not someone something that you thought up. Right. Right. Oh, I think that's a very um very it's a very true and very fair point. Um in terms of well, even starting the whole initiative. Well, if you look at this problem, is it the real problem? Is it the root cause of the problem that you really want to solve? Or are they like the side problems that probably can be solved with um other methods? So with that you can uh including all the stakeholders who can actually help you in terms of finding the best way and the most efficient way to actually solve the problems. Yep. Yes. And actually from the other perspective also that I would like to add is that whether this is a problem yet that your beneficiaries think is a problem or whether it's just something that you think is a problem for your beneficiaries, I'm solving this problem for you where you actually don't see it as a problem. You know, then it's never going to work that way. Thanks for tuning in this week. For more details about Langit Collective, check out www.langit.com.my. Stay awesome. See you next time.